And Dr. Patrick has already taken the stage, so welcome. He is our speaker today. Who knew? Oh, just, yeah. Hey. Well, you know, it's cold, so. It's not that cold, though. It's only, what, minus 25 out there right now? Pardon me? It's a dry cold. It's a dry cold, that's right. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today. And, th- and so such a great day to have Carl with us. Seems like every time you come in the winter, it gets really cold, isn't it? I don't think there's any correlation, but it's, it is going up to zero tomorrow. So, yeah. I'll stick around. We should have Monday service is what we should have. Anyway, uh, and I want to bring you up at the beginning of, and share that story about the, the high school kids that we forgot, because let's do that up front. But anyway, we're going to... We, we've just been an amazing, wonderful weekend, as Reverend Connie um, and, and past week with our um, Deep Winter's Song with uh, Gord Oaks and, and uh, Carl being with us to do his, uh, his thing. And it's such an impactful, uh, amazing season for us that is so apropos to the, the, the content that Ernest Holmes created uh, in terms of our opportunity in it and the birth of this idea of the, the Christ. So what I'd like to invite you to do is just... Gently, gently, as gently as possible, close your eyes. Take a deep breath. How many times do we close our eyes and slam them shut? Like a car door. No need to slam. And to gently breathe. Find your own rhythm in your breath. and Allow the next breath, when you're ready for the inhale, to be just lovely and deep and wonderful. And in complete alignment with what's required for you in this moment. And so let us, let us sing together as we've been singing with Carl. We fill our lungs with air and we let sound out and it's so beautiful. It truly is such a beautiful prayer. And so I'm going to invite you, if you're, you feel guided, to share this song with me as we move into our affirmative prayer. And if not, just bask in the joy of being in this moment. In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room So as we come together And I invite you to allow my words to be your words And if they are not appropriate Let them wash over you And do your own editing And find the words of the phrases that speak to you Because truly what this is about What prayer is about is opening us 
to the conversation at the deepest level possible of the infinite and divine presence that lives and moves and has its being by means of you and I. And so what I know in this moment as I open myself to that, I do it through gratitude. I find something in my life that I appreciate. Maybe it's the song that Carl just sang. Maybe it's the, this, in this very room, our chant that we brings us together each week. Maybe it's the memory, a childhood memory of this time of year. Maybe it's the appreciation that we, we're here and we're in the warmth of one another's presence. But whatever it may be, what I know is that gratitude is an activator for presence. That which, which we appreciate, appreciates. And so I have such great appreciation for all the wonderful teachers that I have had in my life. The wonderful teachers that taught me to read and to write. That taught me to think for myself. That taught me to question the status quo. And to move out of a fixed mindset into a learning mindset and understand that you and I, you and I are precious, powerful, deserving, creative, dynamic. All of the qualities of the infinite are ours and available for choice. So what I know this in this, this moment as we we have our discussion as we come together in celebration that this becomes a, a sacred space with that which requires notice in our experience has that opportunity that I direct this infinite intelligence within me to guide me, direct me in every good way in this moment so that my sharing this day, your sharing with me, that we come together in a collaboration of co-creation in a way that is powerful and amazing and wonderful and the impact of our being together for this short period of time changes the trajectory of our lives in a way that is amazing. Simply that declaration, not knowing the how, just simply the what, as Carl so beautifully just sang to us. To simply know what it is that we long to experience. And the infinite in its divine generosity in this season of light will provide the ways and the means. It is not by my hand, it is not by your hand. So we stand in faith together. I know every good thing for you and I to experience, to know, to realize, to be or do or say. From this point forward in our lives, we stand in a divine co-creation at a deeper and deeper level. For this I give thanks. I give thanks for this amazing community, this beautiful tradition. This, I'm grateful for the, our ancestors that invited us to be here together today to celebrate who we are and whose we are. For this I give thanks, and I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Today, uh, I selected a, a, the a title of a song, which is really what motivated this. Last week was Hark the Her Herald Angels Sing. Why can I not say that? But it's, you know what I mean, that song. It was about angels. It was about the presence of the unseen in our lives. And today is Emmanuel, God with us, which is an amazing song done by Amy Grant a number of years ago. And I've always loved it for the holidays. And what inspired that title was, um, it actually was written in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It's, it's Emmanuel, which is a name given to uh, Jesus of Nazareth at the time. And, and, what, and where Matthew found that was going back about 700 years prior to Isaiah. Isaiah wrote about a prophecy of a Savior coming. 
And so it's very interesting because the mindset and the consciousness at that time were, was looking for a new idea, a new way, you know, that this, it, and it suggests to all of us that the, the, the conditions at that time were not um, as, as favorable and as, and as wonderful as one would think. And so there was this, this, there was this um, uh, vibration alive in the, in the culture at that time when, when Isaiah wrote that of something new and different. And who's going to come and save us? Who's going to show up and transform our lives? Because God knows we can't do it which speaks volumes to the, that consciousness. And, 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 you know, if we know the four kingdoms of consciousness, it's, that is victim consciousness, that everything is done unto us. And so it's not in any way, shape, or form uh, inappropriate, or, and I'm not picking on that. It's just a reflection. If we look at the languaging of the prayer work and the consciousness at the time, we see what consciousness it, is, it springs forth from. And so in that, um, but what Matthew did, Matthew was Jewish, and um, he wrote one of the Gospels, one of the, uh, uh, the four Gospels that are traditionally used. So he borrowed from Isaiah, and he put that name upon the story of Jesus of Nazareth. Once again, Isaiah wrote about this 700 years ago, and here it is, and let's plant it, and let's find the evidence to prove our theory. And that goes on a lot in, in uh, the, the Bible. You know, and the Bible is sacred text, and we honor it for what it is, but to interpret it literally, I think, can be a limitation at times. You know, we know the story of Abraham. Um, most people don't know this, but doing the research for my talk today, Abraham, it was, 12, it was about 1,200 years between the time Abraham lived and anything was written down. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that if I told you a story and nothing got written down for 1,200 years, there may be a few things added or subtracted, or there may be some editing in the oral tradition, but I'm just saying, you know, it could be that everybody got it right. But the point is, is that even with the story of, of, the, of Jesus of Nazareth, this, this, this season of light for us, we now know through research, if you buy into this idea of research and, and, and um, uh, this idea of historical investigation, that there was no scene in Bethlehem with a manger and, and all of the wonderful creatures around, and a lot of them could talk in the stories I've seen. You know, the cow could talk to the camel and all this stuff. And there were angels above, and there was a star, and the three wise men came, and they brought gifts. And all of this stuff is metaphor for a significant event. Um, but, but what we know is that Jesus was not born on December 25th. That's pretty much established and agreed upon, except for the people that really have decided that this is the story, and I'm sticking with it, regardless of what history or research will tell me. And, and, and it's fine. It's not our job to, to, to um, wrestle that away from them. But what I do know is that... that as Holmes, Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, said that the birth of the Christ was probably the most significant event that has ever taken place on the planet. And there's actually a chapter in the, in the Science of Mind textbook, which is more or less our, one of our sacred texts, that talks about and is titled, Finding the Christ. And so Holmes was not in opposition to this idea of, of, of the birth of the Christ, but what he was in, in support of in his investigation and insight and in his own brilliance was that the Christ is being birthed consistently through all of us. And he wasn't the first one to say this, that it's a birthing of a consciousness. And what he said in, in, in this chapter is finding the Christ, which he called the universality of sonship. The common sonship, it, it is available to all of us. It is the son and daughtership of our, of our experience embodied in any individual who recognizes this sonship. So what happens is for all of us, what he's saying is it's available to all of us if we're available to it. And, and what he, he continued to say, the eternal is forever begetting that which is the realization of its own perfection. 
the eternal, which is spirit, which is the unspoken, it's the mystery as well as all around us, we see it everywhere present, is forever begetting that which is the realization of its own perfection. And another way to say that is the spirit is always looking for more expression. That's the ongoing nature of life. Holmes said it's an outward and upward spiral. And he didn't get too caught up in what happens in the afterlife because he thought, well, we got our hands full right now, so let's, let's use our consciousness in this moment for something more effective and dynamic. And, and part of it, I think, was the influence of, of the, the status quo of belief at that time that if we were really, really good here, we're promised reward then. And, when, and when I've, in, in my inquiry into that, what I realized is that, and I think this is accurate for me, and I can only speak to what I think is true for me, is that Whatever I, am, whatever I complete this incarnation with in my consciousness, uh, and there probably are going to be a number of things that are less than complete, I'm going to bring that with me for further development into my next life, into my next incarnation, as Holmes would say it, into that outward and upward spiral of life. And so life is a continuum. It's not as if uh, my behavior in this, in this uh, experience is going to be rewarded in some arbitrary and capricious manner, but it's simply the ongoing nature of life to express and to create and to be and to do and all that amazing stuff. So Holmes didn't buy into this idea. We're not a teaching that teaches hell or, or self-loathing. A lot of people's uh, spiritual practice is self-loathing, you know. I, that I, I made a mistake and, and because of I've made this mistake and, and may have been consciously chosen and it may have been from uh, a, a sense of anger or, or need for revenge or whatever it may be and then as we, we work with that all of a sudden we start to take that on as our identification when in fact it's our opportunity to learn from that and to, and to do our own work around it so that we can have a different experience with it and so we're always a choice so Holmes, Holmes was talking about this idea that the, the, the Jesus of Nazareth, not a new idea, but because the Buddha came along before Jesus and talked about the presence that lives within. But Holmes said that Jesus located God inside himself and spoke to that frequently. And, and that he said, for all of us, there should come a sense of communion, that all of us are in, in connection with that. And the deeper that we grow in that ability to listen and to, to be in the quiet, what a beautiful song. Have you sung the silence song yet? Okay. And I forgot to do the song, the story about the teenager, but we'll, we'll get to it. Because it's a great story. I always love that story. It's about Carl's journey. But, but in it, so in this, in this beautiful chapter by Dr. Holmes, it's all about this giving birth to the Christ in our own being. And what he says that also is required is that we have to invite it. We have to be open to it. We have to work with it. We have to develop the, the spiritual awareness and the capacity. You know, it's like I talked about last week when we don't have room enough for all of our, our, our children here on a Sunday. You know, we don't, the house isn't big enough. So we either move or we, get, we move out of the house and, or we remodel the house. Well, the same idea in our consciousness. If there's not room for that idea and it's a, it's a sense of being for it to land, then our work is to create room for it. And so we might have to move it to a new location in our own thinking and way of being so that there's, there's space for it. Because what you look at, if you look out in the world and what's happened for the, for the most part is that there's a, there's a lot of energy that goes into sort of this tribal identification. It used to be a tribal, tribal kingdoms and then they became nations and then, you know, uh, countries like the United States, Britain, Canada, Russia, um, you know, all of them, all of them took on this identification. 
And for a lot of the, the uh, interaction between those nations has been one of domination or competition or, or fighting for uh, various uh, positions of influence. And what we know now is that that no longer serves us well, that we've, we've run the course with that. How many more wars can we, uh, can we have on this planet and still sustain the planet? How, many, um, how much more can we continue to not honor the life that is around us in ways that are perhaps not going to serve the generations to come? And so we see that in the world, and we see people working in, in amazing ways to help shift that. But it's all, a it's all a reflection of that consciousness coming awake in us, the awakening of that. And so that, that once we realize we're all in this together, as Martin Luther King said, that we either live together as brothers and sisters or we all die together as fools. And he said that a number of years ago. Holmes said on page 368, he said, to know God is to, is to love. To know God is to love. So do you know if you're showing up in, in service to God, is who are you loving? Are you loving yourself? Are you loving the world? Are you taking that love, that care to your work, or is it really about acquisition and really about domination? And if I convince them of this, then I'll have more and then I'll feel protected. When in fact, that whole mindset never feels protected because it's just an ongoing cycle. And I'm not saying that there's nothing wrong with commerce, it's just the consciousness that we operate from. To know God is to, is to love, for without love there is no knowledge of God. As the Christ awakens, the divine spark, shot from central flames of the universal flame, is able to warm other souls by the radiance of its own self-unfoldment. We give only what we have. The only shadow we cast is of ourselves, and this shadow lengthens as we realize the great presence in which we live, move, and have our being. Who would entertain the Christ must invite him or her, however you want to phrase that. But we must invite it. There must be an invocation. He does not come unbidden, nor sit at any person's table an unwelcome guest. So that's our work, is to be aware of it. Number one, aware of the presence, this indwelling presence, and then to, to continue to invite, in that, invite that awakening. And so in this season of the birth of the Christ, it's our opportunity, not just in this season, but in all seasons. And what practices do we have in our lives that move us into that greater experience of love? Because to know God is to love. Holmes says, he stands at the door and knocks. We must open if we are to receive. But how can we receive unless we first believe? We must first believe that Christ indwells our own lives and stimulates all of our actions. For without it, we can do nothing. To realize within oneself a divine presence, a perfect person, is to recognize the Christ. No person ever walks life's road alone. There is ever another who walks with us. And this is the inner self, the undying reality, which our personality but poorly emulates. Let us learn to be still and let the truth speak through us. To be still and know that the inner light shines. So it's already there. It's just, it's an allowing more so than a, than a manipulation. But, but I know in my own life, I'm so busy doing things. I'm so busy with the day-to-day -day doing things that sometimes I, I, I take that doing to my spiritual practice. And then I have to catch myself. You know, uh, someone came by last week, Chris Tylen came by, and he said, I have a friend that's got some extra Christmas, Christmas trees. And I thought, oh, that's nice. And he said, you know, if someone needs a Christmas tree, let, you know, they can offer him a Christmas tree. And so we had him in the garage, and I thought, you know what, we should put those Christmas trees up. So I got busy putting Christmas trees. Carl's in here rehearsing his music, and Laura and I were working on the 
trees and, and she had a million other things she was working on, but, but it was, you know, I, fo- I found myself in it because I was getting a little, it was getting a little monotonous, you know, because there's all these thread bolts that have to go in four on each one. There's four trees, that's 16 of them. Who's counting that one? But I decided that, <laughs> that I would make this, make this, how can I turn this into spiritual practice? How can I turn this into something to realize? So I had to shift myself out of, out of this responsibility or this obligation into the, the sense of, well, I want, what I want to do with this is I want to do this with, with as much care and love as I possibly can. But to, to even be mindful of that and aware of that is huge for me because so much of my life has just been driven behavior, you know, tasking, tasking, tasking. Like coming together with you today and allowing enough spaciousness in my own thinking to trust and to stand in the faith and know that for myself and for you, whatever the conversation will be, there will be some value in it, not just in, the, not just in the words, but in the consciousness that we share. Uh, an amazing mystic, if you've never read his book, There is a River by Edgar Cayce, he says that one person can change a room. One person can change a room. And, and that goes either way. You know, it can be lifted up in love. When Carl, sh- when Carl shows up, you know, Laura and I love having Carl here with us. And we love all the musicians. I mean, Anna and, and, and Sparrow and, and Gord and Brown and, uh, and our bass player today that I've... The, what's the guy's name? See, Anna doesn't know either. Pardon me? D- Doug? Doug. But, but, you know, all of them. It's just beautiful to come in. And as Carl always says, you know, what a great band. We do have a great band. In the appreciation of that and the joy of that, I wanted to uh, to share you a, a story with you. And I lost the page, so I'll tell you the story anyway. That I think is uh, is quite beautiful. Found it. <laughs> See how fast prayer works. It's a story about a guy named Mike. It's called The Parable of Mike and His Search. And it begins by saying that Mike was an enlightened individual, an enlightened man. And he sat in meetings much like this in this community, and he heard the voice of spirit, as you and I do sometimes, that intuitive knowing, that inner voice. Mike always looked for the sweet spot, and he said, I'm ready to go. I want to be in that area where I'm, I am the most useful to humanity, the area where I will find my peace. And that was his... That was his mantra, I'm going to find my sweet spot, the place where I can be of the most value to humanity, I'll find my peace. So Mike was a carpenter, and I can really relate to that, having spent a lot of my years as a carpenter. And so he was, he was very well respected, he, and he was a meditator, and so his friends on the job sites would, if there was a problem, sometimes they would ask Mike about something because he just seemed to have a calmness about him and a presence about him that was, that was reassuring and comforting. And so he was the source of a lot of inquiry. And they recognized something in Mike that was wise. He told them what he believed, and many of them were touched deeply by his sharings. And he told them, listen, someday I'm going to find my sweet spot. One of these days I'm going to find it. And so Mike took many jobs. And when other opportunities opened up for him to move to other areas in his life and he had to relocate himself, he, d- he would do it because he said, you know what, I'm going to go through this door because I'm looking for my sweet spot and I'm going to dis- discover it. And so this, became, you know, this was his, his vow to himself. He said, I'm going to go because I know that, th- that it'll become clear to me. He changed vocations. He became a counselor in the highest order of business finance. He went to school for it. 
and he, and he, he felt called to it because he was helping people. He was helping people with their finances, helping people straight things out. And he said, you know what? This could be my sweet spot. The doors are flying open. And the school is easy, and I understand most of this stuff already. So he really felt like he was following his dharma, which is the Hindu word for your work, you know, your purpose. Indeed, Mike enjoyed it, and indeed there were those around him who asked Mike, what is it, what is it with you? You seem so peaceful, so happy in your quest. So here he is, he's active, but he's, he's got this sense of self about him. He's connected to something other than just his ambition. He's, accept, he's, he's realizing and fulfilling his potential by simply being who he is and where he, wherever he goes. So he was doing his, uh, his financial work, and then he, he enjoyed it. And indeed, there were those around him who would say, Mike, what is it with you? You're so peaceful, so happy in your quest. And he was able to share with them how he felt. And he kept saying, someday, someday I'm going to find my sweet spot. I know I will. It's my passion. It's why I came here. And finally, Mike aged. He got older and older and older. And after several more vocations, including that of being a, a, a far greater master healer than he ever thought he could be, he found himself in an old folks' home. And they loved him there, for he was one of them, and he was peaceful with his age, and he was not worried about his health, even as he watched it slowly fade away. Didn't, didn't bother him, because he understood who he was and whose he was, and he was in that high relationship with that inner life, that, that, that Christ and people would say to him towards the end, he held a powerful energy of absolute peace before him. And they said to him, Mike, you seem so different. And he was able to share with them what he believed. He did much to soothe their very souls, and they loved him. He said his only disappointment was he never found his sweet spot. He said, I've been looking my whole life. I looked so hard, and I've done so much to find it. I never found it. And finally, one day, he passed away. His body gave up, and his spirit went on. And in that, he met an angel. And the angel looked at him and said, Oh, Mike, you have a, had a grand life on earth. You have done so much, so beautiful. We honor you greatly for this. We have something to show you. So they took him into a, it's a celebration journey. A journey where no one can see you, but you can see them. It's a celebration that you should see, and it involves people on earth alive right now, and also in spirit form. So they took Mike into a room, the angel took Mike into a room, and the, and the screen appeared, and, and there he saw entities that he knew. And although he could not talk to them because it was presented as a vision, there he saw the carpenters he'd work with, and their children too. Many of them had become inquisitive about their conversation with Mike years ago, about his passion to find his sweet spot. And they were curious about enlightenment and their path and place on the planet. He saw that they had made shifts and in their shifts, they had affected other people as well. And because they had affected other people, there were unborn children of theirs and others yet to be affected who had become leaders and healers on the earth. He also saw younger business associates whom he had personally counseled with spiritually. He saw that they were enlightened beings, glowing white. Everyone had shifted. Mike realized that while on earth, he had only taken care of himself and his own spirituality. And Mike realized that while on earth, he had only taken care of himself and his own spirituality. But these humans had reacted to him, and he saw much power around their lives. He saw the synchronicity of their families, and he saw their potential because he had been open to speaking to them what they, shouldn't, what, uh, what they showed intent to ask. Mike also saw humans for the time he was a healer. He saw the ones who had gotten off the table, and he saw the ones who were stubborn cases that never healed. Why were they here? 
Although we never knew it, many had finally understood and given permission for their own healing. They had also affected, they had also affected others, and those others had affected others. Mike saw the ones from the old folks' home, the dying ones, the ones whom he had spoken to again and again when they pressed him for answers about life. And he saw their peace. And they passed on. And he saw their gratitude for finally grasping the meaning of it all. It gave them a gift of purpose and love. The angel looked at Mike and said, Mike, you never realized it, but in your lifetime, you've had 18 sweet spots. You fulfilled every one of them, moving appropriately from one to the other, honoring synchronicity and holding the energy wherever you were. You met the ones you were contracted to meet, and while you were in each sweet spot, you were spreading the light to the family. And while you were in each sweet spot, you were spreading your spiritual passion to the family. The passion wasn't about what you were doing as a human. It was about what you were doing as a piece of God. And I think it's a story that speaks so beautifully to what homes the foundational piece of our teaching why we have this teaching you know i don't we don't come in here and i rant and rave at you about you're going to go to hell because you made a mistake because we don't teach hell in fact most people that believe in hell are living in a state of hell right now hell's not a location it's a state of mind but that we are unconditionally supported and loved and the more that we invite this presence and this, this beauty and power into our lives, the more our lives are enhanced and, and the impact we have in others' lives. And so in the, in the holiday season of doing the things that we're, we want to do and spending time with our families, and, and, and you know, for me, the, the, the joy of a, a gift is truly the, you know, the, the, the sense of, of uh, anticipation that I feel in my own heart about what it will create for someone that I care about. It's so sweet to be here, and then people will give us little cards at the end of the year, or some little gift, and they're quite beautiful, the things that show up. And it's just so lovely to celebrate that spirit of generosity. It's not something that we, you know, we sit and plan, but it sort of surprises us each year with the beautiful little things that show up. And I, I'm sure that's alive in your life as well. But, but I think it's easy to underestimate the impact that we have in one another's lives and how we show up in one another's lives. And the, the, the inf- invitation, as Dr. Holmes so beautifully articulated in this chapter, that the Christ is alive in everyone. And the way that it's activated is to understand it is there, and then go about the business of nurturing and developing that relationship with this vibrational uh, tone. So when I hear Carl do a song, it lifts me up into that vibration. Wherever love is present... I mean, this is what, you know, Carl, he thinks it's all about the songs he's singing and, and the words he's put together, and it's quite lovely. But beneath that, which makes him such a gem, is the consciousness that, that he is and the consciousness that all this creativity has created. So he's like the full package. He's, he's it. And it's such a lovely thing to express. And you're it. You're it. So this, the, the thing that I would say in this season of light is lighten up. <laughs> lighten up. That one person, as Dr. Casey said, one person can change the room. So wherever you go, bring your light. And, and in the generosity of spirit, know that you are impacting that room. To live, not, not, our, not our purpose. Years ago, we had someone come in, an author come in, and it was a big workshop. We were all going to learn our purpose, and I was in the back facilitating. Man, tons of people. It must have been 75 people signed up for this workshop. Discover your life's purpose. And the next day, when she left the next day, and next Sunday, I came back, and half a dozen people came in and said, I still don't know my life purpose. Oh, and she had guaranteed it. 
I think Eckhart Tolle gets it right when he says our life purpose is to express our divinity and to continue to do our spiritual work to do that. And it's not easy. But rather to express our potential because our potential is ongoing. Who knows what songs Carl's going to write? I still think his, the, 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 the most brilliant song he can write is still alive in him, still percolating as he does his work, as he travels the planet, touches lives, goes to India and works with these kids. You know, these, these micro, he's, you know the people that are micro-ambitious to create good in the world are amazing. You know, that, that, that I can help create a school here in this village that will empower children for years to come and impact the world. And so their light can shine more brightly. All those little things that we can do. It's quite a wonderful thing. So it really is our season. I mean, this season is truly a season for people that are connected with our tradition to celebrate the birth of the Christ, which is the, that principle, which is that consciousness that, that cracks us open and, and, and allows us to be on this planet shining that light so beautifully. So I thank you for shining your light so beautifully. I thank you for deciding to, to live your, your purpose. And I thank you for being the one that when you go into the room, you do shift it. You shift it for the better. Blessings, and so it is. Are you going to tell your story now? I think you. I would be delighted. I love this story. <laughs> it makes me chuckle every time I hear All it. All right, well, good. Thank you, Reverend Patrick. You bet, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being here. You know, it's a real blessing to um, be at both services. You know, because uh, what I really got um, so much from from your talk is. You know, that, what is our purpose? To show up in love. What is our purpose? To show up in love and to express our joy with whatever personality that we have. And it's so amazing. You know, uh, you asked me to, to share the story. And, and I, um, I had no idea where I was going to uh, express my music. But I was invited because, you know, I really believe that the, 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 the where to and the how to, all that shows up when we express our love. And, and just that's that, that, when we express that, that purpose, and which is just show up in love, express our joy, that the opportunities, the what to, the how to, they, they show up. And so I was asked, uh, I, I, I said this pretty much, I said I wanted to, I wanted to share my music. I was, I was learning, you know, you, you get as good as you can and you wanted to, uh, you, that's what I wanted to do. And so I would all of a sudden get a teacher that would ask me to come in and sing uh, for their school, just their class. And I realized that the, uh, they were really receiving what I had to give. And so then... The principal would ask me to do an assembly. Remember when you were uh, in, in school and, and they had assemblies? And somebody would come in and do, that was me. I would go, I did 180 high school assemblies a year. Wow. Yeah, for, for about 11 years. And that is, um, that is I, I, tell, I, I told Patrick that that's how I, I got my chops. Because <laughs> you get in front of a high school audience and you are the enemy until you're not. And so, and you only have about 30 seconds to not be or you're in trouble. So you say, well, what do you do? I remember, the, and I didn't tell you this, Patrick, I, I remember the, the, one of the most intense situations in New, New Jersey, about 1,500 teenagers, and I, I could always tell you what the, 
what the school was going to be like, the energy of the school and the students were going to be like when I shook the hand of the principal and looked into their eyes. There was somebody home and somebody passionate about what they were doing or there wasn't. And I guarantee you, it transferred to those students and those teachers. And so I did that, and this teacher could care less that I was even there. I said, oh, I got trouble. And sure enough, I did, because he came out, and there was this big school assembly, you know, and everybody was in there. It was packed. And, um, and I remember, it was, remember the, the, the movie Animal House? You know, with the spitballs and the thing. That's kind of what was happening in the, audit, you know, in the auditorium. And things are being thrown and, and, and uh, people are dying. No, I mean, it wasn't that bad. Uh, it, was, it was bad. And, uh, and, and, and the principal is in the house. I'm thinking, man, there is nothing going on here. And, uh, and, he, and this principal came come up on, on, on the stage and they're still... And yelling and screaming, I'm thinking, man, whoa, this is going to be interesting. And he gets in front of this thing, and this was my introduction. You'll love this. This is my introduction. Hey, everybody, go on, come on. Everybody's going to be, be quiet, be quiet. Uh, this guy's not, he come all the way from, uh, you know, California, and he's expensive. His name is, uh, uh, oh, give it up here. That was my introduction. Yeah, uh, and, this, and, and this was like, and of course I come out, you know, and, uh, and, and, and the volume went from loud to extremely loud. And when they saw me, and they're like, ah! and, and so I, I always made sure I had a good sound system. You'd appreciate this, Brown. Yeah. And so I came out, and the first thing I did is I, I played the loudest, I just turned it up, played the loudest power chord I could possibly play because I needed their attention. So I, you know, re, I mean, like, you know, hair going back kind of a thing. Bop! Like that. And, and immediately I said, the girls were talking about all the guys in your school. And they went. They quieted down. And I said, and what they had to say is they said all the guys here are completely loving, sensitive, caring individuals. And this place went crazy. And then I went from there. And then I talked about what the guys were saying to the girls. And then it went from there. But it was all about getting their attention. And I learned that that was what it was all about. It was about getting their attention and then bringing them into an experience. But it was truly... I've realized right away that, um, uh, that worrying about what, what it is we're here to do in, 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 the, in life is not the, not the problem because life will show us what it is. The doors will open for what it is we're here to do. You don't have to worry about that. All we have to do is show up in love and express joy with whatever personality we have inside us. Amen? Amen. All right, all right. Mm-hmm.